So you know we're in a study of firsts. We've been on this for a while. In fact, this is uh, study number 10, and we have one more. That's next week. We'll be completing our series with the story of Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah and that wonderful truth of God's forgiving, saving grace on Mount Moriah with communion as well. Last week, I told you that some Bible scholars call the verse and section that we talked about last week as the single most important passage in the Bible. That's pretty big. God's invitation to Abram to be his family, to be a blessing to the world for all, for all time. That invitation and Abram's acceptance of that calling is what they call the headwaters of faith. That's where everything begins. New Testament, good news, Old Testament faith, our hope today in Christ's soon return all starts with Abram. That first, in that first, um, we discovered that amazing truths come to Abram. And today, we're going to discover some more firsts in Genesis chapter 15. If you'd like to turn in your Bible, that's where we'll stay. And here we see, for the first time, the word believe used in the Bible. First time. Also, first time ever in the Bible, the word righteousness is used. And the verse that we will be looking at today in Genesis chapter 15 of verse number 6 is one that is quoted in the New Testament four times by Paul and celebrated by all the disciples. It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Genesis 15 verse 16. Six, this covenant that God made with Abram in Genesis 15 celebrates the truth that God's saving grace is not based on rewards for efforts or achievement for our accomplishment, but it's based on the restoring, saving, recreating, redeeming love of God in Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of it. Paul said so memorably in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9 where he said, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. He is expounding on this great truth that we see in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15 mentions a word that has been said several times, two other times in the Old Testament already, and that's the word covenant. In Hebrew, it's berit. And that covenant refers to a binding relationship, a relationship, a contract between two parties, two families. The word berit occurs over 250 times in the Old Testament. And the covenant that God makes with us is like a will with terms that are only defined by God, no terms by us. But it's much more than just a will. It's much more than a a business contract like we might think of it. It is a God-initiated, grace-based relationship. And God directs it toward the supreme goal, his supreme goal of our existence, and that is a relationship with him. 
That's what he means through. That's what he wants by this covenant. Now, in most contracts, each party is eager to get the best out of it, right? You want the most for, for the least cost. When you go to buy a car, you try, to get, you try your hardest to get the best car for the least price, for the cheapest. But in God's covenant, he holds back nothing. He promises his wholehearted, complete commitment even to death. He goes the whole way for us, holding back nothing. Genesis 14, which we studied last week, ends, as you recall, with Abram rescuing Lot and then meeting Melchizedek, king of Salem. And now, here in chapter 15, God himself meets Abram. Genesis 15 and verse 1 says this. After this, after these events we've just mentioned, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, God has connected with Abram several times. The Bible says that he spoke to him and he appeared to him. And this, in this passage, it says that God gave Abram a vision. So he spoke and appeared and now in vision. The way he speaks most frequently to us today is not through any one of these. Sometimes, as I think of it for myself, I idealize the methods that God used to communicate his word, his thoughts, his intentions to the people of old. Oh, if I could see a vision. Oh, if I could actually hear the word of the Lord to me. Wouldn't it be something? Think of it. Wouldn't it have been something to be Abram and hear the voice of God, see and vision, experience God himself? Wouldn't that be something? But that's not my experience. That's likely not yours as well. Scripture records that God personally communicated with Abram seven times the way I count. Seven times, seven occasions anyway, probably nine times, but on seven occasions. Now that's an amazing thing, to have your life directed through these theophanies, they call it. God appearing, God coming and speaking. It's amazing. And it happened for Abram between the ages of 75 and then he lived to be 175. Now I just want you to do a little bit of calculating, okay? Seven times... Over 100 years. That means about 14 years in between each one. 14 years in between each one. I wonder sometimes how Abram felt about God's promise for his son when he waited and waited and waited, not hearing anything for a year after year after yes god had made the promise but he didn't hear anything for year after year but but you and me we can daily take his word can't we we can daily be directed by his spirit we can open his word read his inspired god directed word and be encouraged and convicted and enlightened every day we can abram couldn't do that so i want to challenge you yes a wonderful experience that Abraham, Abram had. But how about for us? What a, 
What a joy it is for us to have God's word. And I want to challenge you. Take this moment to challenge you. Establish. If you, don't, if you don't, haven't done that, take time this week. Make a home altar. I'm not talking about putting a place with a little figurines. Or I'm talking about a place where you take God's word every day and you spend time with him, seeking him. Take notes. Ask him as you read to speak to you through Paul, through James, through John and Matthew, Mark, through Moses. Ask him to speak to you. Ask him to tell you his deepest thoughts through his word. Ask him. And then make little notes of it. Take a journal. Write it down. And then go to him in prayer. Talk back to God. And do it again. Do it again every day. Would you do that? The most important thing you could do, most important you commitment, second only to surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. That's it. And I'm going to be asking you to do that today too. Surrendering your life to Christ. Because we're going to look at three statements that the Bible says here in, in Genesis chapter 15. And then we're going to look at finally a covenant agreement that God makes with Abram. And he makes it with you and with me. And I'm going to be asking you to make that agreement this morning. But first of all, three statements, okay? First of all, Genesis 15, verse 1. God says to Abraham, Abram in this verse, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, we're not told why Abram might have been afraid. Likely, I mean, we can imagine, it was likely something to do with retaliation. Okay? Think of what had just happened in the chapter before. He had just defeated a coalition of four powerful eastern kings. And undoubtedly, those kings were preparing for revenge. Undoubtedly. And surely a host of others um, would be thinking about this roaming herdsman and be thinking of him as a threat. So Abram must have been anxious about how God was going to fulfill and watch over him. Um, and, And he thought of these people who would be after him and he thought about the promise that God had made him, the promise of land, the promise of family, the promise given him to an old itinerant man with a wife, who could not bear children. And Abraham must have been startled, in addition to all these things, startled by this encounter. Every time a person meets God, there's got to be some of that there. Fear is sparked. Fear. Not cowering in in fear, but rather a reverence, an awe, a deep respect, an honor. That's, that's appropriate. That's justified. And that's what, what Abram does. But this fear not, God says to Abram. He says that to quiet his soul. Fear not, he says. Fear not. I am the one who helps you. I love that. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 12. You know, he, I think that word is appropriate for us today, isn't it? Facing COVID pandemic. Maybe you aren't even with us today. Maybe you are watching from your residence, from your home, because you're 
fearful of this pandemic. Pre-existing health conditions or your age make you particularly vulnerable and you feel, you fear. God wants to say to you, fear not, I'm the one who helps you. God says, fear not, I'm walking with you. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to work together for good now and forever. That's God's promise. Fear not, he says. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, this fear not goes throughout the Bible. Joshua 1, 9 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Just like Mr. Terry Koch so wonderfully led us in that, in that prayer time for our education uh, um, leaders and students. God says to us, you know, teachers, God says to us, students, your life is upside down right now. But God says, fear not, I'm with you. I'll help you through this. Some of you, you might be healthcare providers or essential workers, and you may be strung out, worn out, worried out, and God says to you, fear not. Fear not, I'll protect you. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll supply all your needs. I love what it says in Isaiah, again, 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. If, if, you're, if you're finding yourself in a situation where your retirement savings have been depleted, Maybe you find yourself in a situation where your business or your job or your housing has been eliminated. Maybe you find yourself in, in any type of a situation like that. God says to you, fear not. I have not abandoned you. I have not abandoned you, nor will I ever abandon you. I love you, he says. You're mine, and I'll be with you through this. That's God's promise. He said it to Abram, and he says it to you and me. Fear not, he says. Now, Abraham had good reason to be afraid. He expected those attacks of retribution, at least by some of those coalition kings that he had retrieved those stolen goods from and returned the family members from. Abram had reason to be afraid, and he needed protection. By the way, this is not the first time the word fear has been used but it's the first time the word fear not has been used. First time, fear not. Once before, fear was mentioned. Remember when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and they were filled with remorse and guilt over what they had done? They took what wasn't theirs to take. They were fearful. But here, in this verse now, God says to us, fear not. Fear not, he says. I am your shield. I am your shield. That's the second part of that. I am your shield. Now, Abram, think about this. Abram was alone in this foreign land. He had tents, that's all. No established homes, no established buildings. He had tents. He had flocks. He had herds. He was a stranger. He didn't own a stitch of land. He was a sojourner, a Bedouin wandering with his flocks, pitching a tent here today, there tomorrow, on, his, on the move all the time. Not one square foot of ground to call his own. He even had to buy a piece of land to bury his loved ones. He didn't have any place to call his own. Into that vacancy, 
God says to Abram, I am your shield. I am your shield. I'll protect you. You're all alone, yes, but I'll be with you, God says. Now, Abram had no fortresses. He commanded no army, but a few servants is all. He had no city walls, no gates, no portion of land to call his own. He was a stranger, a sojourner, but God says, I'm your shield. I'm your shield. When he had no other guard, Abraham was garrisoned by God. When he had no permanent dwelling place, when his tents were far from fortresses, he was guarded by heaven. I'm your shield, God says. I'm your shield. He was safe. Safe. As safe as he would have been if the walls around him went from earth to heaven. That's safe. The armor of God covered him head to foot. I'm your shield, he says. How about for you? So we got to apply that to us, don't we? How about for you, follower of God, member of the body of Christ, disciple of Jesus, when you feel like you have nothing, and when you feel like there's nothing to protect you, what a joy, what a peace, what assurance that fills my heart in knowing that I am and you are completely guarded by God, completely By the all-powerful God, although invisible God, you are completely guarded. You're safe, infinitely safe with him as you trust in him. Beginning to end, waking and sleeping, through success and failure, through life and even in death, you are forever and always and ever secure because the Lord is your shield. The Lord is your shield. And I love, love the way Paul says it in Romans chapter 8, where he says, if God is for us, say it with me. Who can be against it? I'm going to do it again. If God is for us, say it. Who can be against us? Isn't that it? What does it matter, huh? He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen. We are more, he is our shield, friend. He is, well, he provides everything for us. He gives us a shield of faith. And not just a shield of faith, but the complete armor, the sword of the spirit, the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shirts are our, our loins with, the, uh, with the, the, the good news and our feet with the gospel. He gives us everything we need. God didn't say, by the way, God didn't say to Abram, I will shield you. He didn't say, I will shield you. He says, I am your shield. I am your shield. There's a difference there. It is not alone. He is not alone our power, our wisdom, our love. He's our shield. He is our shield. He says, I myself will protect you. But I think as I go over this, Abram must have thought, he must have contemplated, you know, I'm going to be protected. I'm going to be safe. But I'm going to be a gypsy. I'm just going to go from place to place to place. 
I'm roaming through a land that will never be my own. God has promised it, but I haven't seen any of it yet. I have no children or the possibility of children. He's mulling this over in his mind. And he's thinking, how in the world can I pass a blessing on to anyone when I don't have anyone to pass it on to? He's thinking of these things. Then God added this. Not only am I your shield, says God, and fear not, he also says, you are very rewarded, he says. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Notice again, God doesn't say, I will reward you. He doesn't say that. He says, I am your reward. Think of that for a moment. There's a reward, a deep reward, a deep joy in knowing God. Knowing God as your Savior and Lord. Knowing that that's He who will be with you through life, no matter what you have, no matter what you face. And He is able to match anything you will face. He says, I am your reward. I say to that, amen. This last week, I listened to a podcast about a woman by the name of Paula Ferris, who at the height of her career, maybe some of you uh, have heard of her or seen her on TV. She was co-anchor of ABC's Good Morning America Weekend. She was co-host of ABC's The View, and she was totally obsessed with her work. And she sensed a deep vacancy in her life. Even though she was at the top of her game, you couldn't get any more than that as a, as a newscaster. To be on ABC, national television, as a co-host and co-anchor, she was, it was her dream job. But she gave it all up. She gave it all up. She sensed that she was gaining the world she was losing her soul, gaining the world, and, but losing everything that was of value to her. She sensed that she had nothing, that she was nothing without that thing. She felt as though her entire identity was tied to her job, and she was nothing without her job. God forbid. That may be our occupation, but that's not who we are. In God, we have purpose. In God, we have calling. And Paula discovered that there's something bigger, that there's something deeper, there's something more than just career. Yeah, career is important, but that's not everything. Calling is something we are by God. Career is something we do that's important, but calling, calling. And all of us are called. All of us are called. Man, woman, husband, wife, Child, daughter, son, whatever. We're called of God. We're children of God. And that is the most significant purpose in our life. And God says to us, to you, to me, I am your reward. I'm your reward. God said to Abraham, God says to us today, I'm your reward. Your life will be with God. Your faith will be in God. You will be his obedient child of God. This is the bedrock of life. This is the most important component of any person, of anyone. Whatever you do, this is our calling, child of God. In the parable of the prodigal son, the father, remember, said to the elder brother, 
when he growled and grumbled because a party was being put on for the younger brother as he came home. And the father said to the older brother, you remember these words, Luke 15, 31, my son, he said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. That's what God says to you today. Friend in Christ, everything God has is yours. Everything. He is our greatest reward. Is there any greater possession? I want to just ask you, isn't there any greater possession than God at the center of our life, the center of our heart? Is there any, great, is there any greater honor than being a child of God, friend of God? Is there anything more important than having Jesus Christ as friend and Savior? Nothing, nothing. There is a treasure better than any other treasure, and that's God. And he says to us, this is my God. He wants us to say, this is my God, and he will forever be my guide, even to death. Will you say that with me today? Is there anything that can compare with that? That is our reward. You know, neighbors and co-workers may think little of you. I hope they don't, but they may. But you have someone who cherishes you as the apple of his eye. You may have little in terms of this world's wealth, but you know what? You have an all-sufficient God who died to save you. Friends may leave you, but you have a God that is a friend who will stick closer than a brother. And the Lord said to Abram, I am your exceeding great reward. I am your reward. Abram refused to be enriched by the spoils. Remember when Sodom, the king of Sodom came out and said, here, take these spoils. And Abram said, no, 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 I will accept nothing. Genesis 14, 23. I'll accept nothing from you belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal so that you'll never be able to say, I made Abram rich. Abram wants to be rich only in God. Only in God. Abram gave tithe to Melchizedek. One-tenth of all he owned in recognition of God's ownership. His bank account was slimmed. But God was his reward. And that's all he needed. That's all we need, friend, to have God as our reward. Abram was comforted by God's promises, by his care, to know that God's shield that was, was protecting him, that his God was his reward. That was heartening. But, but you know, re, you read the account and he was still troubled, amazingly, but he was still troubled to know how he could be a blessing if he had no children. He was just struggling with this. And he said in verse number three, and Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be heir. Yeah, it's, it's like Abram is saying, yes, God, I believe all these things. I thank you for all these things, but you've prospered me. You've promised me and you protected me, but, but there's more. You've said more to me. What good is all this if I had no descendants? What good is it all if you don't give me the son that you've promised to me? It's an honest prayer, isn't it? It's a heartfelt prayer. And so then God did something special. You can see it there in your Bible. God took him outside, verse number five, Genesis 15. And he took him outside. Think of it, on a beautiful starry night like we'll have tonight, huh? without smoke. A beautiful starry night. 
And he said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Just think of that for a moment. Abram is struggling. God takes him outside in the night. The sky is dense with countless stars. Nothing to dull their radiance and number. And God says, look up. Can you count them? Can you count them, Abram? That's how many your children will be. That's how many your descendants will be. All the children of faith who will accept and follow me through you. That's the number of them. Then it says this verse. Abram believed the Lord. Verse number six and was credited to him as righteousness. Here, here, friend, is the great truth, the great truth of God's word set forth for the first time. Here's the first first for this great truth, and that is God's saving grace is a gift. It's a gift. Abram believed that. He accepted that. He believed God's promise, and he's saved. Saved by grace. It wasn't a result of his goodness. He had plenty of that. It wasn't a result of his efforts. Yeah, he had lots of that too. It wasn't a result of his giving, even though he did give. It wasn't a result of his obedience that produced righteousness. He had plenty of obedience. (laughs) He left his country. He left his family. He followed God's bidding. He separated from Lot in generosity. He refused to take the plunder from Sodom. He gave tithes to Melchizedek. Yes, he had works and evidence and obedience and goodness. But all those good things, those did not earn Abram's approval with God. That's not the way God works. Salvation came to Abram the same way it comes to you and me. The same way. The same way it came to that dying thief on the cross beside Jesus. He said yes to the gracious gift of salvation through faith. And I'm I'm inviting you to do that today. If you haven't done it, do it today. If you've done it already, do it again, again, again for the first time. Yes, genuine faith is always accompanied by obedience. Yes, James clearly states this. But we're made right with God only by faith in the work that Jesus accomplished. That's how we're right with God. That faith, if true faith, that faith, if true faith, always results in obedience. Always. But our being righteous before God is never a result of that goodness that we bring to God. But because faith in what God has done and will do, that's righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But still, it's amazing to me, still, Abraham is struggling, struggling still. The reality of this picture, God still needs to plant into his mind his heritage as numerous as the stars. And Abram thinks, I'm 80 years old. How's this going to happen? So he says to the sovereign Lord, Genesis 15, verse 8, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How can I know that this is going to be happen? How can I know? God loves honest questions. He's not afraid of, of us asking him hard things like this. So he tells Abram, he says, okay, okay, Abram, go get a heifer, a female goat, and a ram. 
and two birds, a turtle dove and a pigeon. Cut those animals, the animals in two. Lay them in a path parallel to each other and put the birds one on one side, one on the other. And Abraham knew exactly what was going on. This was a covenant. God was making it a formal agreement with him. This is the way it was done back in Abram's day. This is the way two parties would slaughter animals and walk between them as a sign that they were bound to this agreement. And they were intimating by this action that if either of them broke this covenant, that their lives would be at stake just like these animals' lives had been given up. Abram knew that that's what... And, and so he knew God is going to involve me somehow. But in this case, only, only God walks through the animals. Not two parties, not Abram and God, only God. You see it there, verse 17. But when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Who's that? Who's that? Who's that smoke? Who's that torch? Who's that fire? Who's that cloud? That's God. That's God. It says in verse number 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. It's not a covenant between two parties. (laughs) Abram wasn't even involved. It was God alone making a promise. An unconditional promise to you, to me, to Abram. And in order for God to keep that promise, he would have to be cut in two. He would have to surrender his life. He would have to give up his life for ours. Jesus would die, not Abram. Jesus would die, not you. Jesus would die, not me. That's the covenant God makes with us. We've broken that covenant, haven't we? I've broken it over and over again, not because I want to. I never want to, but I do. But God says, come, come again, come again. Because he is the one who dies. He's the one who's given his life. Like Isaiah said, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Today, God is inviting you, friend. Today, he's saying, come, join me. Accept this covenant. I paid the price for you, for your sins through my son, Jesus Christ. Now he invites you. He says, believe.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we surrender all to you. And we feel good about that because you offer us so much. You offer us hope and future and salvation, new life. You say to us today, fear not, I'll be your shield. Fear not, I'm your reward. You offer us today hope and new life. And we say to you today, yes, we surrender. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ who shed his blood. And we say to you, yes, thank you. We accept your blood, your righteousness. Now, Lord, may we walk from this place with hope and new life and joy and eagerness of your soon return. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.